Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a powerful collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about being brave with Lisa Guerrero. As one of America's most watched and most popular broadcasters, investigative journalist and former sports reporter Lisa Guerrero has blazed a trail for women in television as the chief investigative correspondent for America's number one syndicated news magazine, Inside Edition. Her career on camera spans four decades, and the lessons she's learned overcoming incredible challenges are the basis for her inspirational memoir, Warrior, My Path to Being Brave, which is now being developed into a TV series. Warrior, My Path to Being Brave chronicles Lisa's journey from a shy, insecure eight-year-old girl who lost her mother to cancer to launching a career as a model and actress in her teens, transitioning to NFL cheerleading and sports casting in her 20s, and eventually landing as an investigative journalist where she's won over 40 national awards and honors, chasing down bad guys on Inside Edition. Lisa's book tracks her journey of overcoming challenges and obstacles in both her career and personal life while learning how to practice bravery on a daily basis. We are so thrilled. Please help us welcome Lisa Guerrero. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Oh, hello. So good to be here, Grace and Maria. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. We have a lot to talk about today, don't we, Grace? We do. We sure do. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to start right at the beginning because, oh my goodness, we have all kinds of things to discuss with you. Um, We're talking about being brave today and what a perfect topic in today's world. Your journey has been nothing short of incredible to get you where you are today. We want to start right at the beginning, though, and talk about the driving force behind you writing this incredible book and sharing your story. Thank you for asking me that. Um, you know, when I first started writing Warrior, I, you know, this was actually over a decade ago when I began the process of writing. And I knew that as an investigative journalist and former sportscaster and former actress, that I had stories to share, especially stories for other women. But I I wasn't really sure what the ending of the book was. So I was having a really hard time kind of going from beginning, middle, and what's the story arc here? What am I trying to convey? And at the end of the day, I went back to my name, which is Guerrero or Guerrero. Mm -hmm. My, um, My mother was a Chilean immigrant. And when she came to this country, she learned English as a teenager she had me relatively early. She and my dad got married in 1963. I was born in 64. And um, she was diagnosed really young with lymphoma at 29. So she knew that she didn't have much longer to live. I was eight years old at the time. And she pulled me into her room and she said, Lisita, never forget that Guerrero means warrior. You were born to fight. And she passed away probably about a month after that. So 
at eight, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what she was trying to tell me. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago when I went back into my journals and watched my old tapes and, you know, began writing about my career that I realized she was actually giving me a directive. And this message that she shared with me before she passed away was that I was born to fight, not just for myself, but for others. And that became the reason that I wrote Warrior, my path to being brave. At the end of the day, I became brave. I don't think anybody's born brave, but I think we become brave over time through facing challenges and overcoming obstacles. Yeah, I think that's so true. We see so many women on that journey. And as we get older and wiser, we have that, we have more confidence. So in the book, actually, you talk about the toxic work environment of Monday night football and the effects that it had on you. Um, Can you share how you came back from that, from that experience and some of the, maybe the key turning points that, that there were for you? Sure. It, you know, it took me a while to get to the point where I was hired by Monday Night Football in 2003. I had spent over a decade before that as a local, then regional, then national sportscaster, starting in Los Angeles at CBS, then Fox 11, then Fox Sports Net. And I was a correspondent. I was a beat reporter. I was in the locker rooms with athletes covering the Dodgers, the Lakers, you know, the NFL. And after 10 years of, you know, really in the trenches, you know, hardcore reporting, I finally got this amazing opportunity to be the sideline reporter on ABC's Monday Night Football, which at the time was, many would say, the pinnacle of where a woman could get to in sports casting. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my broadcast partners were Al Michaels and John Madden. We had 40 million viewers each Monday. It was a very, very big job. And it was the first time I had ever done sidelines. I had been a uh, a beat reporter and a correspondent and an anchor and a host of many sports shows. But sideline reporting is a very specific skill set that I hadn't done. So here I am on the job training in front of 40 million people. But as soon as they, they gave me the opportunity to have the job, I immediately began Um, being the center of a a ton of criticism. So a lot of media critics said that it wasn't fair that they hired me because I was a former cheerleader or I used to be a model. And they had ignored the 10 years of work that it took to get to where I was hired by Monday Night Football. So before I ever picked up a microphone for ABC, I was reading these horrific things about myself. I was slut-shamed. They talked about the size of my breasts the length of my hair, um, how I wore my makeup, the fact that I wore lip gloss or pink nail polish. And this was before the first game. I really uh, was astounded and hurt and traumatized by a lot of this, you know, really unfair criticism right out of the gate. In addition to that, I also had a verbally abusive boss. My executive producer would yell at me in my IFB during the games while I'm interviewing athletes or delivering live reports. And he was just a very, very, you know, he was what, what you call in the industry, a screamer. And he's not the only one. There are a lot of producers in sports that are yellers and screamers. He was one of them. And so the combination of feeling like I was being, uh, 
criticized unfairly, the toxic work environment, um, the years of hard work that I felt were being diminished, and the fact that I was scared of my boss all contributed to a really toxic environment for me. And eventually, I got to the point, ladies, where towards the end of the season, I found out I was pregnant. I had just gotten engaged. And I was very early in the pregnancy. Um, and I was covering a game where my boss was yelling at me as usual. And I had just read some horrible things about myself before the game. Mm. Um, I hadn't been able to eat or sleep for weeks. And in the end of the first quarter, I started to feel cramps on the side of my, my stomach. And then by the second quarter, I started to get nauseous. I had a headache and felt real searing pain. So that at halftime, when I went into the official's bathroom, I realized that I was having a miscarriage. But instead of calling my boss and telling him through the IFB or having the assistant tell him in the production booth that I was having a miscarriage, I was scared. And so I put paper towels into my pants, buttoned up my long jacket so you couldn't see the blood stain behind in the back of my pants. And I went out in the second half while I was having a miscarriage and continued to cover the game, I was so afraid of being ridiculed or of being fired or that somebody would notice that a critic would, would say that I wasn't tough enough if I left at halftime. So that's how sick I was really physically and emotionally that season. I write about it extensively in warrior because I want people to know about the ramifications of that kind of toxic environment at work or on social media or criticism in general, that there's yeah. somebody on the receiving end of every cruel word. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're a human being. I can't even begin to imagine what that was like for you. And, and even going back to, you know, your mom giving you this label as a warrior in such a beautiful way to see what you've gone through and to know that that is something that should never, ever have to happen to any human being, let alone a woman in the middle of her job. I'm astounded, actually, that that was even the case. But I think you know it's what, a though? lot more common those, uh, than we, we think. I think there are a lot of women that do experience, maybe not to the same extent as you, but uh, in a role where they maybe don't have enough confidence or they're not strong enough to deal with regular confrontation. I mean, it just chips away at you, I'm sure as well. I mean, you had it even before you even started the job with, with all the, the negative press. So how do you turn that around? Like, how do you, how do you move on from that? Grace, I'm glad you asked that because since the book came out, a lot of women have contacted me after reading it saying something similar happened to me at work. You know, it wasn't in front of 40 million people, but yeah. you know, I had this toxic environment in my job or I had a verbally abusive boss, or I even had a miscarriage at work because, you know, one in four pregnancies ends in yeah. miscarriage. So this is very common. And, and of course, people that are working, you know, there is a, a chance that that could happen at work. So I was, you know, really shocked to, to hear a lot of the, um, the reaction to the book from women that said that happened to me as well. And the way that I got through it um, was, not a healthy one at the beginning because I kept it in. I didn't tell people that I was undergoing this situational depression. Um, after I was fired by Monday Night Football after one season, I was um, absolutely humiliated in the press. I was the subject of ridicule for months, even long after I was fired. And I thought, well, once I'm fired, they're going to move on. 
but they didn't. I, I wow. continued to be a source of ridicule and, and, um, and it was very shameful for me. It was very, very humiliating. So finally, I had heard some sports radio talk show hosts ridiculing me and talking about me on sports radio while I was driving my car down Pacific Coast Highway. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to drive myself over this ledge because I can't stand one more criticism, one more humiliation. I, I can't live with this anymore. And I almost did. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had had suicidal ideations for that entire year. And that, that was the moment that I really thought it through. I could do this right now. But what I ended up doing was pulling over and calling my dad. And that was the first time I had ever told anybody the severe uh, depression mm-hmm. and trauma that I was enduring. And, and I had told my husband at the time a little bit about it, but he still, you know, he's a, an ex-athlete that's kind of like, you know, rub a little dirt on it, get up, walk it off. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm very sensitive and emotional. I'm not able to do that. So I finally called my dad, had a long talk with him. And he said, you need to talk to somebody. You need to go to a therapist. You need to start to realize that your life isn't about you being a sports personality. You're a storyteller. You're a writer. You could work in news. You could do other kinds of storytelling and reporting. There's a lot of people in the world that don't know who's playing in the Super Bowl. You need to remember that sports is a niche. And that really helped me to get myself out of my bubble. And so I suggest to people that are going through these types of traumas to try to look at your environment differently and to see who you are in the world and where you are and try to pull out that focus and look at yourself not as the target of humiliation or cruelty, but as somebody who's facing this incredible challenge. And your legacy is going to be not the challenges you face, but how you overcame that challenge, how you redirected your life to somewhere more healthy. You know, if you can take your pain and turn it into power, then you win. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) I'm, we're going to get through this today because wow, there's still so much more of your story, but Lisa, wow. Um, It is just incredible. And, you know, for any women out there listening, thinking, they're going through something similar, or they know someone going through some similar, um, knowing that you're on the other end of this. And, you know, here you are today, a successful, you know, brilliant woman sharing your story with others. That is a lot of vulnerability to, to share. It's a lot. At, At first I didn't think I could, you know, when I first started writing warrior, I left this, a lot of this out because it was too painful to think about. And I didn't want to go through the, you know, process of having to recount it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was very painful, but at the end of the day, I thought, you know what, I bet other people are going through these things and I need them to understand that if you can get through it, it doesn't happen overnight either. There's not a magic wand or a pill that you can take that tomorrow you're going to wake up and everything's going to be better. My process took about 18 months for me to get through the suicidal ideations and situational depression to feeling like I could move, I could move on, work again, um, be healthy, eat healthy and breathe and exercise and, and do the things I needed to do to put myself back on track. Mm 
But I, I also wanted people to know that, that it, it you know, it takes effort. Uh, but the, the first thing you have to do is talk about it. So I told mm-hmm. myself, I have to talk about it. I have to yeah. write about it. Because if I don't write about it, then it's not real. And this That's isn't it. an honest book. I yeah. have to be honest about the journey. That's and amazing. it's interesting you say that because it's, it's <clears throat> and you mentioned it earlier on, it's that shame that keeps keeps you hiding it. And so by being able to write it down and tell that story, you're freeing that shame, as it were, and um, allowing others to see that vulnerability and that human side of you. you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, Grace, that is so important that you say that. I love that you said that because the shame doesn't belong to me no. and it doesn't belong to you or anybody that's going through this. The shame belongs to the person that put us in that position. Yeah. It's not our burden to carry. And when we can talk about it, that that you know that gives us the ability to take that burden off our shoulders and hand it back to the person it belongs to. Yes. It's not us. It's not that, ours to take carry. Take that power back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I want to touch on something because you said, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. And we talk about this all the time in our community, this idea of overnight success stories that you see in entrepreneurship or, you know, you see on social media, they're usually decades in the making. Um, And it's so easy to kind of sit back as a viewer and watch someone like you and just see, wow, this incredible woman, she's written a book, look at all she's done without seeing all the nitty gritty that's happened along the way. I'd love if you can share some of the tips about becoming braver and helping maybe a younger audience to gain their confidence along the way. Sure. I think a lot of people see me you know, in quotes here, chasing bad guys on inside edition, right? So I'm running, I'm literally physically running after people, demanding answers, um, demanding accountability for the survivors and victims that have told me their stories. So, you know, I think that the image of me on television or now on YouTube, because a lot of our younger viewers watch me on, you know, mm-hmm. you know, on their devices, And I think they see this woman with long hair, looking glamorous, running down the street like Wonder Woman. And they say, wow, she's brave. I want to be brave like that. I wish I could be brave and fight the bad guys in my life. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I wrote towards the end of the book, some specific ways you can become more brave is because, as I said earlier, I don't believe people are born brave. And so I think that bravery is like a muscle. The more you practice courage, the more courageous you become. Mm -hmm. And so for one of the things I say in my book is that I I really want everybody every single day to practice a random act of bravery. What does that mean? That means that tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and there is going to be some part of your day where you are going to be required to do something brave. It can be a small thing, It could be a huge thing, but at some point during the day, I want you to lean into courage instead of backing away. You know, we, especially as women are told to be Mm non-confrontational. Don't yell, don't make a scene, be nice, smile more. I'm telling you to make a scene. (laughs) I'm telling you to speak up and speak out for yourself or somebody else. And that can happen in, in very small ways or in big ways. When I talk to kids, I say, you know, be the first person in class to raise your hand 
when a teacher asks you a question. That takes courage. Be the first person to sit next to that kid at lunch that nobody else wants to sit next to. That takes courage. So when I talk to corporate America and audiences that I I speak to doing keynotes, I, I say similar things. Be the first person to pitch your idea in the meeting. That takes a lot of guts. Most people do not want to go first. But if you can go first over and over again, you become more confident. I tell young journalists, be the first person to ask a question at the press conference and make it a tough question. Yes, you're putting yourself on the line, but you are also growing your bravery muscle. And then here's what happens over time. When the moment comes and the moment will come, there will be a point in your life when you are going to be called into service and you need to use your bravery for yourself or somebody else. And unless you've been practicing it, you won't do it. You won't go for it. You won't be the brave person you know you should have been. And you're going to go home that night and you're going to regret that you didn't stand up. But if you do these small acts of bravery every day, when the time comes for it and you need to be a badass superhero, you will be that woman. I love it. I, love I it. think I'm just going to keep this on repeat all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. on my <laughs> I know. And it's so true. I think you're right. It really is a muscle that, that we have to develop over time um, because it, you know, it can seem so daunting, especially for those people that don't like confrontation or don't have that confidence. So I, I love that you've used those little steps um, as a as a guide for for becoming more courageous so um so thank you for sharing that um now we'll, we'll just jump on a bit if that's all right um hindsight is a wonderful thing um what advice would you have for your younger self today well so part of the reason i wrote warrior was i wanted to forgive my younger self i wanted first of all i grieve for the younger version of me that negotiated when I shouldn't have had to negotiate on things like my wardrobe at work on television. I had bosses telling me they wanted me to wear short skirts so the audience could see my legs. Uh, They wanted me to, um, you know, to smile more, argue less. And I, you know, as one of the few women in sports casting at the time, I thought, okay, I'm going to compromise a little bit. I'll wear the short skirt as long as I can get the sit down interviews that I want to get with the athletes that I need to get, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll go ahead and wear what they want me to wear as long as I can write my own dialogue. So the advice I would give my younger self or young women entering into any field would be to pay attention to those red flags right at the beginning and create boundaries. Do not negotiate on things that you in your gut know is wrong. If if you are uncomfortable about something, that is yourself telling yourself, this isn't right. This isn't right. And in my book, I recount times when I was brave and I did stand up for myself and others. But then as And this is strange, as my job progressed, and I got better, and I I had a a larger audience, I started to get nervous about losing it. So Mm. then I started making little negotiations with myself. So I wish I wouldn't have done that. I know a lot of people write memoirs, and they say, look at my fabulous life and career, I have no regrets. 
my book is not that. <laughs> I have lots of regrets. I write about my regrets in order to keep another woman from going down that same road. So I want young women to read this book. I want anybody that reads this book to contact me afterwards because I'm all over social media on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook because I want to know what you got out of this book. This is very interesting. This morning, I got a direct message from somebody who just finished reading my book and I write about being gaslit in the book in a very specific in, you know, incident towards the end. And she said that she counted seven different times in my book where I was gaslit. And I thought about it and she, you know, she bullet pointed them out. And I thought, you know what? I didn't even look at it like that. And she said that this is something she's really hyper aware of in her own career because she gets this, she's in a male dominated industry. And so I thought to myself, she is right. She got something out of my book that I had been describing. I just hadn't articulated it like that. Yeah. So I want to hear back from women once they read it to see what we can, you know, because the whole point of the book is to open up discussions yeah. about, you know, trauma and challenges and overcoming these things, uh, both personally and professionally. But we can't do that unless we're willing to be open and honest and talk about them. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to do. I mean, yeah. we talk all the time about, you know, even on social media. I'm I'm happy being behind the Revolution Her brand, but once you go into my personal page, it's it takes a lot to put yourself out there, right? And so the fact that you're able to do that and to talk to other women and help them also see what could be going on in their own lives is is incredible. And I I commend you for being able to do it because it's not an easy thing to do. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. And just before you go on to the next question, Maria, I, I really do want to commend you on sharing all of those situations and, and the fact that, you know, when you talk about dress code or showing a bit more leg or compromising what your values are and recognizing that, yes, you did that. And yes, you don't want other people to have to do that. It's like it's an unlearning. As we get older, we become more confident to stand our ground and to work out who we are. Um, and you're so right. There are so many other. We don't. We don't always see that. We don't mm. always see people sharing that side of the story and the fact that they didn't have the the the, the confidence or the the drive or or whatever to to make those key stands. So I really just want to say yes. Congratulations for for sharing that because when we're in those situations, you know, we all look back and we have to unlearn things, uh, and we're always learning. And so life changes. I just, I'm just really glad that you highlighted mm -hmm. that. Sorry. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Well, here. sorry. You know, <laughs> no, it's just, it's one of those things where I said, you know, what's the point of writing the book unless I'm going to be honest about it and yeah. honest about my my own mistakes, you know, and that's. That's what makes a human being a human being. And that's what yeah. makes our growth process so incredible. And the journey is a beautiful, painful, incredible one. And we're lucky to be, you know, the age we are to, to have learned from our mistakes and to share them with other people. Absolutely. Oh, well, and, and speaking in that vein, really essentially what you're doing is you're trying to lift other women up as you climb. And, you know, you've gone through the ebbs and flows, the highs and the lows um, on your journey along the way, as we all try to continue to be brave and work on that muscle. <clears throat> what can we, you know, 
help other women aspire to do along the way to not only bring themselves up and be brave, but also encourage other women around them? Any tips you can share? You know, I think the more that you can be like we are right now, talking openly, especially using your social media platforms to begin conversations and to get involved with other people outside our direct bubble, that's really important. Um, You know, sharing our stories, um, encouraging other women, making sure that there's a path for another woman in your Mm -hmm. wake to, you know, learn from you. Being a mentor is incredibly important. It's really important to me. And I didn't have female mentors when I came up in sports. And so uh, now that I'm an investigative reporter, I try to mentor other young journalists. And I try to make sure that, for example, the shows that I work with, you know, hire women producers and hire other females You know, I'm constantly uh, doing trade shows and conferences within, you know, the journalism world where I talk to young women and encourage them to write in their own voice, produce their own work. Think about, you know, writing a book or journaling or writing a column, because it really, it, it isn't until more women are visible, more women are willing to talk about these issues that we are able to combat and push back on misogyny and yeah. push back on these toxic work environments. Um, but we, there have to be more of us willing to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. I think you've, I mean, I'm not going to promise, but I would like to, <laughs> I feel like you've encouraged me to be more brave for sure. I, it's a start. Right? Good. And, yes. And that's it. The more women you can kind of grab their hands and say, come on, we can do this together. You know, it's that, like we said, that lift as you climb, you're definitely on a trajectory of so much incredible good for yourself and for others. Um, And so to see that you're able to encourage so much, it's, it's really, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. But you know what, we, can I say one more thing on this topic? Of course. I think it's really important for us as women though, to be able to take back this notion of bravery and to put it into our wheelhouse. I feel like my bravery comes from empathy and mm-hmm. empathy is something that I think women have um, that we women can tap into easier than men can. Yeah. And I think that it's not fair for there to be this notion of courage or bravery as if it's this audacious act where you put on, you know, armor and you go out and, you know, fight people and, you know, swagger down the street with a gun in your, you know, holster. No, bravery is something women already have. Women are already brave. Women already fight for their children, their parents, their siblings. Um, We are brave in service of others because we have so much empathy, typically, And I think, you know, as a journalist, that's my secret sauce. I'm really good at empathizing with the victims that come to me. Once I empathize with them, then I become brave in service of their story. So I'm chasing the bad guy down the street, not out of audacity, but because I'm demanding answers for the victim that trusted me to tell their story. So I think we just need to turn this notion of bravery around. It is not about swagger. Bravery is something that you are called to. You are called to be a brave person in service of something else. I love that. 
gosh and you've done so much like I'm just like what's next for you like there's so much you've done already what's next well the next thing I want to do Grace is I want to take this book I want I want to have this made into a scripted series I want to have my own production company where I give opportunities for other stories to be told from the female perspective I want I want to be able to open up avenues for us to be storytellers together and for us to find a broader audience. So it's not enough for me to write a book if nobody reads the book. Yeah. It's not enough for, you know, a woman of color to produce a film if nobody's going out to watch the film. So it's 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 not enough for us to just say I want to go out and create these stories. We also have to say I'm going to go out and support other women's stories as well. And then that creates avenues for more of us to write books, to produce television shows and films, to create our own companies, to, you know, you know, be the the people, the influencers we want to be in the world for good. But we have to be able to you know, connect with each other, write our own stories, tell our own stories and support other women's stories as well. It's, it's a big piece. And so just so you know, we are a hundred percent behind you <laughs> when you're ready. However, we can help you. We are here. Honestly, um, the work you're doing is so important and there's a whole community of us here. We got an army ready to support you. So yeah, <laughs> thank sure. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and that's what it takes. I mean, and and it, it seems like such a simple concept, but it isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's an act. You can't just listen to something and go, okay, yeah, I get it. You have to be active in it. Yes. You have to go, how am I going to absorb this and put this in motion in my own life? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just listening to something. It's, it's what they call a call to action, right? Don't just listen, jump into action. Yeah. Be that person that you know you can be. You have it in you to be this person. Other people have had very difficult things happen to them. You are people who are listening are going through challenges right this second, right this second. There's something heavy on their heart, but you can overcome this. Other people have other people will you can too. So don't just listen, be be thrown into the, be thrown into the arena, walk, march into the arena because you belong there. Yes. I love it. Oh yeah. my goodness. I love, love it. it. Yeah. Oh, Lisa, I feel a fire. Like you really just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I could talk to you. I'm pretty sure we could probably have three or four podcast episodes and just talk to you yeah. all day. Um, so thank you so much for sharing about warrior and for everybody listening. We hope that you go out, get a copy of this incredible book, be inspired by Lisa even more. We're not done yet though, Lisa, we are going to I don't know if we can really throw a journalist off with our <laughs> rapid fire oh, no, question. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so we are going to send a couple rapid fire questions your way before we sign off. Um, just really to help our listeners get to the nitty gritty of who you are as a, a person before we say goodbye. So I'm going to kick things off. My first question for you, where is your favorite place in the world to be? My backyard. I love my backyard. I have a little secret garden in the backyard. I, I do mosaic work. And, you know, if I wasn't a journalist, I would be a mosaic <laughs> artist in my art studio in the back. And I created this, this garden in the back of my house. 
that you can't see from anywhere. You have to literally walk out a path and then there's a gazebo in the back with a a big mosaic over an outdoor fireplace. And I did mosaic work in the floor and mosaic works around in different pots and around the garden. So I have a mosaic secret garden in my backyard. It's taken me five years to build. And that is my favorite place. So that's where I did a lot of writing that's where I do a lot of my research for my investigations. That's where I do a bunch of my social media is out there in my backyard. Oh, girl after my own heart. I'm a big yeah. gardener too. So um, oh, that makes me Love very it. happy. Yeah. Uh, if you had a theme song, what would it be? Ooh, a theme song. Maybe it would be, um, ooh, remember that girl? From uh, was it the Mary Tyler Moore show when she's yes. the reporter and she throws up her hat at the end? I used to love that when I was little. I was like, I want to be a reporter like Mary Tyler Moore, and I used to practice swirling around and throwing my hat up at the end. Oh, so maybe that it. would be my theme song. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, wait, that, um, wait, am I thinking of two different things? Mary Tyler Moore, Marlo Thomas. I think that was a different one. Marlo Thomas was that girl. And the Mary Tyler Moore show was where she was the reporter. So I remember the hat. I'm getting my brunettes mixed up. I remember the hat. The hat, I believe, was Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. So the next one, what does self-care mean for you? Oh, gosh. Self-care to me means self-forgiveness. Okay. So we're really hard on ourselves. I think women are brutal on ourselves because I mean, whether it's looking at ourselves in the mirror and seeing wrinkles or aging or fat or cellulite, or whether it's thinking I didn't do everything I could have today at work, or I didn't do enough for my kid today. I wasn't as understanding as I should have been. Or I should have been better to my husband. And why didn't I cook a full meal tonight? Why did we order it? I mean, at the end of the night, I think women tend to feel a lot of guilt. And I think self-care for us requires first and foremost that we forgive ourselves. And we don't hold ourselves to impossible standards. Mm -hmm. So self-care means that, you know, how are you caring for yourself? You have to care for yourself before you can go out and, and conquer dragons. So in order for us to care for ourselves, we have to forgive ourselves and not hold up these impossible, um, you know, weights. We, I think we, we really want to go and do 30 things in one day and do them all perfectly and then look like a supermodel. And it's that we can't do that. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to forgive ourselves and just let ourselves be the human beings that we are every day. I love that. Do you know what? I went to bed last night thinking of all the things I could have done better during the day. I just like, that's what I needed to do. I needed to let go of that guilt of not doing it the way it should have been. Or I felt it should have been done. Thank you. But don't you think that's why I think that's why women can't sleep very well. Like um, a lot of my girlfriends have menopause. It's I promise it's not just menopause. I think a lot of us aren't sleeping well because we feel guilty and we think of all the things we should have done that day. And we have anxiety over it. So I think we need to forgive ourselves. There's always another day, right? We can't do everything in one day. Yeah. I like that permission. So whereabouts, whereabouts are you uh, based, Lisa? 
Los Angeles. You're in Los I live Angeles. in Los Angeles, but my show, you know, Inside Edition is based out of New York and I travel with my crew all over the country oh, wow. and all over the world. We're going, yeah. we're doing an international investigation um, next weekend. So I basically live on an airplane <laughs> and, <laughs> and in Los Angeles. Okay. So when you are in Los Angeles, what is one of the, your favorite things to do locally? hike. I hike around my neighborhood. I live in the West side and there's this amazing mountain uh, that is uh, there's, there's probably about 20 trails around it. It's called the Baldwin park scenic overlook. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the top of it, you can see from the Pacific ocean to downtown Los Angeles. So you have this incredible 360 degree view of Southern California, you know, of that Los Angeles West side in Southern California. And on a clear day, it is spectacular. It's a really great hike. Um, It's challenging. But um, yeah, hiking is one of and if I can't get up there, I just like to walk. I'm one of those people that likes to try to do 10,000 steps if I can. So and that's and you can do that anywhere. You Mm -hmm. don't have to have a path, you don't have to have the ocean or a beautiful place, you could just get outside and walk. Yeah. Yeah. I think, honestly, if you and Grace were living in the same <laughs> <Yeah>. radius, <laughs> you would be I think besties. we'd be friends, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, I'm going to throw one last one your way. How do you continue to plan to amplify yourself and other women's voices this year? I want to continue to promote my book, Warrior, because I just believe that the book is that opening, you know, the entree to these discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just going to be relentlessly plugging it and relentlessly, you know, talking to anybody that will listen about how women need to be more brave and how we need to be respected in the places of work and in our relationships. And I know that it will be annoying for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, especially a lot of men, but I'm going to continue to do that because sometimes you have to relentlessly self-promote if you're promoting something that's going to be of service to others and help others. And so I will continue this this year to take as many opportunities as I can to talk about the book um, and then to hopefully get the book made into a series and to start my production company. So that's that's the way I'm going to continue these discussions and hopefully continue to help people. And remember, if you have a book that goes to series or film, you are employing other people. That's at least a hundred people you're putting to work. And if you're the executive producer, you can choose to have women in those leadership positions in your production. You can have female directors, female writers, female producers, uh, female department heads across the board. So it's not just about, oh, I want my, my show made. It's also about, I want to give people opportunities to get their careers off the ground. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Oh, we're excited to hear all about it. We are forever championing the work that you do and so excited that we got to chat with you today. I yeah. feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, we're both just so thankful that this all came together and we know you're extremely busy. So to be able to have time to share this with our audience and our community of incredible women, we are just incredible. We're just so forever grateful. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for this awesome discussion. I really enjoyed talking to both of you, Maria and Grace. Thank you. It was lots of fun. Oh, gosh.
Well, if you're on the other end of this microphone, you've been listening and you feel inspired by Lisa's incredible journey, you know that there's other women in your world that you'd like to share this with, please feel free to share this episode. Revolution Her is all about continuing to support and uplift women around the world, and we can only do that with your help. So thank you for tuning in today. Um, Honestly, (laughs) Lisa, we can't wait to talk to you again and to follow along on your journey to see what's coming up next. Um, So thank you. And to everyone, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.